thing to be with you and to see so many of you. I always think, man, it's a long weekend. These people, they got better things to do to be in church. No. You're here, and uh, most of you, I think, are here because you want to be here. And uh, I'm just glad to have so many of you. It is good to be a part of a family. I love being a part of this family. And it's really what we are. And I know every time I get up here and I look at faces, you know, I, I'm, I'm well aware that, you know, in this room, uh, there, there are situations going on in lives, like great things, celebratory things are happening, and hard things and loss that's being experienced that together we need to, you know, rejoice about together as a family, or we maybe need to mourn together as a family. So, uh, it's an opportunity when we gather as one family to um, just to be aware of some of what is happening in our body. And so, I see a lot of the Tallinars that are still here. Uh, they came out from Ontario to celebrate Nathan and Bethany Youngstra's wedding, their second wedding. Uh, they had a COVID wedding in here with like five people, and then they had the big party this last week. And so we celebrate with Nathan and Bethany as they offer their vows to one another again. And um, I see Rick Robinson. I know, Rick, you laid your father to rest this last week. And so we pray for you and your family as you navigate that loss. And uh, I see Danielle, uh, who lost her grandma yesterday. And uh, that would be Randy. Where are you, Randy? Randy's mother-in-law. Many of you will know Evelyn York. Beautiful elderly lady. Was she in her 90s? 92. So Evelyn went to be with Jesus yesterday. And Evelyn, here I was reminded of that this morning. Evelyn was one of the founding members of this church. She was on that list of like 20-some names back 52 years ago now. She's been a part of this church for a long time. And uh, she's received the reward for her faith. And she's as happy as she has ever been. And she's with Joan and those who have gone before. And we will join together one day again. And, uh, but in, in the meantime, our condolences to you. And as a family, we want to be here for you. We pray for you, for God's comfort in this time. So if you've been around a bit this summer, you know that uh, each of these weeks, we're going through a variety of names of God that we find in the Bible. And there are a bunch of different names that God gives to Himself or those who experience God attribute to Him. And there are more names given to God than we can go through here over the summer. But we're just taking one different name uh, each, each week, because when we look at these names of God, we get to know God better, right? Your name communicates something about who you are. And so, as we explore the names of God, we are discovering the nature and the character of God and all the benefits there are of that in our lives. And so, this morning, we're taking a look at this name of God, Jehovah Ra'aha. I'm not exactly sure how to pronounce that. That's a Hebrew uh, title, which means the Lord our shepherd. The Lord is shepherd. God is our shepherd. Now, we see this name given to God a variety of times throughout the Scriptures, and of course, of course, most famously in that passage we just read, Psalm 23, and a couple of you, you were probably annoyed that it didn't read the exact way you memorized it, right? That's one of those passages that many of us have actually committed to memory, and it's very meaningful for us. Psalm 23, the shepherd's psalms, which begins, the Lord is my shepherd. You know, this is one of the most beautiful names and pictures of God I, I think we have in the Bible. And, and it's a name that would have been very meaningful to David. Like David wrote Psalm 23. David himself was a shepherd boy. So he knew what it meant to be a shepherd. He knew what sheep were like. But you know, here in 2022, I'm just a city kid, right? Meat comes in a styrofoam tray, and I don't know what it looks like to be a shepherd. I, I've never met a shepherd. And I don't know what sheep are like. I know nothing about sheep except that they taste delicious, right? With a little bit of mint jelly. Uh, and so we actually have a few young sheep farmers in our church. So I called up Josh this week and I said, Josh, tell me about sheep. And so he told me a few things about sheep. He said, well, the very first thing he said, well, they're, they're pretty stupid. Uh, he said, they're always trying to kill themselves. They're always getting into trouble. He says, if there's a crack in the wall, they will get their head stuck in the crack. 
He's lost a few sheep because there, there was a rope dangling and somehow a couple sheep got their necks caught in this dangling rope and they hung themselves. He said, they're, 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 <laughs> they're always straying into dangerous territory. They're pretty stupid. He said, um, they follow one another. He said, sheep flow like water. If one goes, the rest of them go. It can be stormy outside and they're sheltered in the barn in a place of safety. But if one leaves, they all just follow after. Okay, and he said that's actually where that statement, you've probably heard, like a lamb led to the slaughter. You've heard that? That's where that comes from, right? They just kind of naively, ignorantly follow, really with, without any idea of where they're going or why they're going there. So sheep, they, they follow after one another. He said that uh, sheep, they will kill themselves with grain. He says they love grain, and because they like it so much, it's so tasty to them, they think it's good for them. So they'll just gorge themselves on grain to the point where their stomach will blow it up and they'll die. So he has to like make sure that they only get a little bit of grain and they don't eat too much grain. So he has to monitor very closely what they eat. Otherwise, they'll only eat the tasty stuff, which ultimately will end up killing them. So he gave me some insight into the nature of a sheep. We are sheep. According to Psalm 23, according to these verses, and God is the shepherd. And Psalm 23 kind of helps us understand what it means for God to be our shepherd. And so again, you're probably familiar with these words, but the Psalm of David begins, the Lord is, what's that next word? The Lord is my shepherd. This is kind of interesting. He doesn't say, the Lord is the shepherd which is true. He doesn't say the Lord is our shepherd, which is true, but he says the Lord is my shepherd. It's a very personal title that he's giving to God. He is mine. And this reminds me of the words of Jesus when Jesus in John chapter 10, he's describing what it means to be a shepherd. And and Jesus says in John chapter 10 verses 2 and 3, he says, the one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his, the shepherd's voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. A shepherd calls his sheep by name. You know what that means? It means he knows each one of them individually. He knows them personally. And this is the first thing we see about God, what it means for him to be shepherd, is he knows you. He knows each of us individually, personally. He knows you better than you know yourself. He knows you better than your spouse or your mommy or daddy know you. God knows you. Now, I've got three lovely daughters. They're all here in the front row. And each of them is so different. If you know my girls, you know that these, how do they come from the same parents? Right? Annika came along, and Annika's personality, she's um, stubborn in all sorts of good ways. But, she, no, but she's like resolute, right? She just want to show weakness. And so when I was disciplining Annika when she was young, she would just grit her teeth like it didn't phase her at all. It didn't bother me. Give me another chore. It doesn't bother me. And then there was Britta, and I thought, well, okay, Britta, this is what kids are like. And then Britta came along, and Britta was nothing like that. I, I, I learned pretty quick, if I were to scold Britta harshly or discipline her, she may not talk to me for a week, <laughs> right? Like, her spirit could be crushed. This little girl, and I had to learn that, oh, okay, they're different. I have to know them individually to know, like, what, what they need, right? And then by the time the third one came along, we were just tired, Right? Mom and dad. So, yeah, just do it, whatever. So, you know, she just, that's the benefit of being the the youngest, right? Um, God knows each of us' name. He is my shepherd. And I just love this because you know what? We we, We might find it really easy to say God knows everything, but hard to say God knows me. It's easier to talk about God's power, his knowledge in generic terms than very specific terms. It might be easier for us to say, God loves everybody, than it is to say, God loves me. The Lord isn't just the shepherd or our shepherd. The Lord is 
my shepherd. He knows you. And he, which means he cares for you. He cares for each of us individually. And so you'll have Jesus as he describes who he is. Right? The, 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 in Luke chapter 15, the tax collectors, they won't eat with sinners. Why is Jesus eating with these sort of people, you know, commiserating with these sort of sinful people? And, 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 and Jesus talks about himself as the shepherd, right? He says, you know, if you're a shepherd, if you have one that strays, don't you leave the 99 that are safely in the pen and go after the one? Doesn't the shepherd love each sheep individually? That's the nature of a shepherd. God is like that. And so one of my favorite verses, 1 Peter 5, 7, Peter says, he says, cast your cares on the Lord. This version, cast your anxiety on Him because He cares for you. That's one of my favorite verses. That's a good one to memorize. Cast all of your cares on the Lord because He cares for you. The Lord is my shepherd. He knows me. He knows you. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. The shepherd knows what the sheep needs. Now, there's, there's different versions. You, you've maybe memorized it. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, which confused every 10-year-old. I was kind of slow to catch on. I was probably 15 before I realized that it doesn't mean like I don't want the shepherd. It's like I will not have wants. He will meet all of my needs. And so this version here that we're looking at, it says, Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. And you might look at that and go, well, there's all sorts of things I lack. I lack being debt-free. I lack a stable job. I lack a spouse. I lack being a few inches taller. I lack a good jawline. I lack the ability to like sing in harmony well. Like there's a lot of things I lack. So we have to understand when it says I lack nothing, what he's really saying is the Lord is my shepherd, and because I have a shepherd in God, I have all that I need. The shepherd ensures that I have all that I need. So in verse 2, David continues. He says, he makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. The shepherd leads his sheep to good places, right? Places that bring life to them, that bring health, because sheep are stupid. We've learned, right? Sheep, like apparently, sheep will just fall off cliffs, they will strain to dangerous territory. Sheep, if they want to drink, they will go by a, a, a raging stream to drink and they'll get caught in the current and they'll get swept away. The, the shepherd needs to be the one that leads them to good pastures and leads them to quiet waters for their good because the shepherd knows what the sheep needs and where to find that. And so Jesus continues back in John chapter 10, verse 4. When, he, when the shepherd has brought out all his own, he goes on, what? Ahead of them. The shepherd goes on ahead of the sheep. Why? To lead them to good places where they're going to receive what it is they need. The shepherd is an expert in the needs of sheep. And what David is saying is God is like that. God knows exactly what I need. And he leads me into those places. He is perfectly wise. God is an expert in what I need. And he will guide us to what is good. Look at verse 3. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. God, as shepherd, guides us along the right paths paths. How does God guide? How does God guide us along the right path? Well, even when you hear that word path, you maybe remember some of what David said elsewhere in the Psalms in Psalm 119 verses 105, which says, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light to my path. Remember that? Remember that from Silver Bay Bible Camp? That's the verse that's on the shirt, right? Thy word, God, is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. It's your word, God, that lights the way, the right path. 
So when he's talking about God guiding, I think what, what David has in mind here is he's talking about the Word of God, the laws of God. He's talking about the Scripture. This is how God guides us, or one of the primary, the main ways that God guides us along the right paths. And so you'll have David say in Psalm 119 as he's talking about his love for the Word of God. He says this in Psalm 19, verses 7, the law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. Didn't we just hear that? He refreshes my soul. So here we have it again. How does God refresh the soul? The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. And he'll, he'll, he'll use a few different words to speak to the Word of God here. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are, fir- are firm, and all of them are righteous. They are more righteous than gold and, and than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey. Then honey from the honeycomb. Why? Why, David? By them your servant is warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. But who can discern their own errors? God, forgive my hidden faults. He's saying, I'm just a sheep. I'm just a sheep left to my own wisdom, my own devices to find my way in life. I'm going to stray into all sorts of dangerous places, into the mouths of wolves and off cliffs and into pits. But God, your word guides me, it warns me, it leads me, it corrects me, and when I keep them, there's great reward. It's not like when I obey, God gives a cookie, good job, you did what is right. He's like, no, the obeying of God's word, the, the following the guidance that he has given brings reward. It leads us into the best of life. For he says, for who can discern their own errors, right? Sheep don't know ultimately what's best for them, right? They will eat grain and they will gorge on grain until they're bloated and they die. And really, what he's saying is we're no different. Ultimately, our, our wisdom is not perfect. There are things that we might think are good and right and they actually bring harm. We need the perfect wisdom. We need the guidance of God. And so, when it says that God guides us in the right paths, I think what David has in mind is God guides us by His Word. His Word leads us into the healthiest of life. It refreshes my soul. Maybe the version you memorized, it was, He restores my soul. What does it mean for, for, for your soul to be restored or fresh? I think it has, probably has a few meanings. It means that we find ourselves encouraged because we can find ourselves down discouraged. The Word of God, it comes to us, and it reminds us of the great truth of who God is and His love for us and what He's done for us and all of His promises, and and it it refreshes our soul just like water in a parched mouth. It encourages us, but it also corrects us, and that's this idea of restoration. We're 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 on the wrong path at times, and God's word comes, and like the crook on a staff, every shepherd had a had a staff. He talks about that, and I had a crook on the end. And what was the staff for? It was to hook the sheep. It wasn't to beat the sheep. It was to hook the sheep around the neck, right? Oh, you're going towards the cliff. Oh, you're straying to hook and to redirect, right, into the right path. And he says, God's word is his staff, which guides us along the right path. And we can think of God's word in in kind of a real generic sense, like just generic guidance. We know it's kind of true for all people of all times. But just as the Lord is my shepherd, I think God's word is is not just his word to everybody, but it's his word to you. God speaks to us through his word, through the scriptures, in a very personal dynamic sense that the author of Hebrews, I think, was getting at in Hebrews chapter 4. Verses 12, listen to what he says. He says, The word of God is alive and active. It is sharper than any double-edged sword. 
The Word of God is alive and active. What does it mean for the Word of God to be alive and active? It penetrates even to the dividing, into dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. I think what he's saying is it's not, God's Word isn't alive and active because it's true. It's because it's personal. The one who spoke it still speaks it into your life. When you open, the word, you're, you're, not just, you're not just reading words that God wrote at one point to other people or to everybody. You are reading God's word to you and God has a way of speaking it into your life in a way that you need to hear. You know, there's a lot of people, oh, if I could only hear from God, if God would just speak to me, he speaks to you. When you open your Bible, God speaks to you by his spirit who brings his word to life in your life. And gives you the guidance that you need to walk along that right path. That you need for your soul to be refreshed and restored. God's word is living and active because he speaks it in a dynamic way into our life. And sometimes it's easy to forget that. But when we open the scriptures, we have to understand every time we do, God is speaking to you. And so when you do that, I think a great practice that I would commend is every time you come to God's word, you would just pray and say, God, you are still speaking this word. Would you, would, would, would you speak to me through your word and show me what it is you want me to, to know, what it is you want me to do? And he will have a way of using his word to give you very specific direction, encouragement, because he knows what you need. I'm not a huge advocate of like the open the Bible in the point approach. So I'm, I don't share this story to commend that approach to you necessarily, but you know, God, God has a way of using his, wor- his word to speak in very specific situations in our lives. I've found, and I remember in, in Blind River when we had outgrown the little parsonage that we were living in, and, and we had to move, and we, we really, you know, I had to look for a house, but we didn't know how long we were going to be in that community, and I'm a really cautious person. I'm an Enneagram 5, and if any of you know what an Enneagram 5 means, it's like, you know, we need to think, and we need to deliberate, and we need to research, and we're not, we are not always very decisive, and so I'm kind of cautious by nature, and this is a big decision to buy a house that we may need to leave in a few years in, in a community where it's really hard to sell a house and earn back your money, but we're, we've outgrown this house. Lord, what do you want? me to do we're looking at a house we're and and I, I I was stuck I was stuck and I just felt God say go to my word and so I, I just okay and, and I don't do this often but I just I just opened it and it, the Bible fell open to Jeremiah chapter 32 where God is telling Jeremiah who's deliberating about buying fields Right from Zuckel, because the Babylonians are at the gates. It's not a good time to buy. And the Lord, sa- the Lord says to Jeremiah, I want you to buy it. I want you to take the deed, the sale of purchase, bind it up, put it in a clay pot, because houses and fields will again be bought and sold in this land. Okay. Okay, God. I just felt like, God, okay, God you were, you were, you're speaking to me. We're going to trust in you. We bought the house. Four years later, God moved us to Stonewall. Now we got to sell this house in a community where it's very hard to sell a house, and we reminded God of that verse. Remember? Remember when? God, we trust in you, and nothing was happening, and nothing was happening, and Craig and Quentin from this church came out to pack our, help, pack our stuff, and they were going to drive the U-Haul away, and they had all, it was moving day. They had already pulled away. Our van was idling in the driveway. We were making one last sweep of the house, make sure we hadn't left anything in a closet, and um, we'd already kind of given up all right, I guess God has another plan. It's going to happen a different way. We're like one minute away from stepping outside of our house. Erica's phone dings. It's the realtor. Your house is sold. We joined hands in our living room, our empty living room, and we prayed a prayer of thanksgiving, and we got in our car and we drove away. That doesn't always happen like that. But for me, that was a reminder, Rusty. These are not just dead words that communicate general truth just to everybody. God speaks into our lives through His Word. So let us be quick to come to His Word for guidance, whatever it is we are going through in life. Because God speaks. He guides us through His Word. It is living and it is active. God actively shepherds us 
through His Word, which leads us in the way that we ought to go. But He also shepherds us through His church. And this is just a little aside here. Uh, you know, maybe coming out of COVID a little bit. Like, l- look what Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 1, or sorry, chapter 5. Because here he talks about shepherds, but he talks about two different shepherds. 1 Peter chapter 5, to the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings, who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them. Who's he talking to? He's talking to the elders of the church. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them. Not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, because remember, they're not yours. You're shepherds over God's flock, God's flock. Be examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. So he talks about two different sort of shepherds here. He talks about the chief shepherd who will appear again. That's obviously Jesus. Jesus is the chief shepherd, but he talks about another shepherd, an under-shepherd, right? Who's he talking about? He's talking about those that God has called to kind of give leadership to the local church. That word is the word that's translated pastor. Pastor is just the Latin word for shepherd, So if you call someone pastor, that's just the word shepherd, which is why if you go and get a taco at the taco truck and you get a taco el pastor, what in the world is that? That just literally in Spanish means shepherd style, right? Pastor means shepherd. And what what he is saying here is under under the shepherding authority of Jesus, God has given, he's called people together into church. And he's, and he's given people and he's trusted people the task of giving care and shepherding the flock of God under the leadership of the chief shepherd. This is God's design for the church. God, in other words, God speaks to us, God guides us through the spiritual community that is the local church. And after this stretch of covid like a lot of people figured something out. You know what they figured out? You can find better sermons on the internet. And I know you're thinking, Rusty, that's not true. There's no way. There's no way. It is. It's true. I mean, you can go online and you can find a church in Texas. It's got a slicker show. And their guy's a little more dynamic. And uh, the message is shorter. <laughs> and and it's, it's more insightful, maybe. You find it maybe more engaging. And that's great. And I would never deter anybody from going on the internet to find good teaching from other places. Right? But I think what this is saying is, in God's design to speak to you and to shape you, that's secondary That's not solitary. That's primary. God's design to guide is through the shepherding that happens in a local church. Because what does a shepherd do? A shepherd knows the sheep by name, knows the needs. There's relationship. It's a personal thing. And so I'm keenly aware that that, that, that when I prepare, I feel like God is giving me words to actually speak, not just generically to anybody, but to you. To us. As one body, as one family, spiritual community, this is God's design for the local church. Somebody online can be your teacher, a great teacher, but they cannot be pastor. And so I know I get these pastors, what what do you think about virtual church? What do you think about online church? And what I say is, I think you can have virtual teaching and online teaching, but you can't have virtual church and online church. It is a logical contradiction because church means gathering. It means to be together. God's design, one of his designs to shepherd you, to guide you, is through the shepherding that happens in spiritual community. And I don't think that just happens with those that hold an office called pastor because that's a gift. He will go on that, that others can have a shepherding gift 
Because he goes on to say in verse 5, in the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders, to the older people. What he's saying is, you, you have a lot to learn in community. This is the place where God speaks to you, where you surround yourself maybe with people that are, that are more spiritually mature or more, more biblically aware, that can give good counsel. And together, in spiritual community, in the context of the local church, God guides you. He shepherds you. So to neglect the role of the, of the local church, even though there are better churches out there and better preachers out there, to neglect the role of the local church is to miss out on one of God's primary ways that He shepherds you. And that, that's not just here on a Sunday morning, me, pastor, teaching God's Word. That happens in spiritual community together. And so we've just heard about life groups Right? That means that, that in a context, when you come together in intentional spiritual community, God uses others to guide, to shepherd. So God actively shepherds us, guides us through His Word and through His church. So my question for you is, in your own life, just assessing yourself, where are you looking for guidance? Where are you looking for wisdom? If David stopped at verse 3 here, that would have been great because the sermon would have been over. Green pastures, quiet waters, he refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Who doesn't want that? If David had stopped there, like, we would have a very pastoral scene. I've just driven through Iowa and Wisconsin on a little family road trip, very pastoral. Rolling countryside. And you know when we say something's pastoral, what do we mean? We mean it's peaceful. It's serene, tranquil, idyllic. Sheep on the, on, on, on the green hills. Quiet. It's like a Thomas Kincaid painting. I'm talking about the painter of light. You old people probably have a picture hanging in your house. A pastoral scene, holy and realistic. Look at verse 4. David continues, Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Even though I walk through the darkest valley. I want you to note this. Note that green pastures and quiet waters don't preclude dark valleys. in God's shepherding and leading of us. The dark valley is as truly one of the shepherd's right paths as the green pastures in the quiet waters. And maybe you've memorized that as the shadow of death, right? Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. What does that mean? Is he actually talking about death? Well, literally what it means is, even though you lead me through a valley that is as dark as death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. So what is this valley? This valley is a place where you feel surrounded by dangers, you feel surrounded by threats, you feel surrounded by uncertainties. You can't see two inches in front of your face. I've been in Jewel Cave in Badlands National Park, 400 feet underneath the earth when they turn off the lights, and that's terrifying. You're doing this, and you can't see your hand, and you're just hoping the guy can find the light switch again. And that's what he's saying. Even in your place where, where, where life is, is feel like there's so many threats and so much uncertainty, it is as dark as death. Even there, God, you are with me and you guide me. And, and a shepherd, to get from one place to another, might have to go through some dangerous territories. Maybe, maybe a deep ravine where there are threats. Maybe there's wolves. Maybe there's lions. Maybe, maybe there's cliffs. Maybe there's robbers. David knew this as, as, as a shepherd himself, and he knew this in his own life as a follower of God because you might remember he, as a shepherd, he was anointed right, to be the next king of Israel. And then what happened? Fifteen years of being on the run, 15 years of being pursued by Saul, who's trying to snuff out, of it, snuff out his life before he actually ascended the throne. 
David knew what it was like to walk through valleys to face dangers, threats, and uncertainties. And what he's saying here is, God, I have learned that even when I don't see you, you are with me. Even when I can't see where you're leading me, I know that you are leading me. And there are times in life, and maybe you're in one of them, when you're in a valley and you just feel like you are surrounded by threats that might overcome you and you don't know what's going on or how this could ever lead to some good at the end of this or how you're going to get out of this. Maybe you're in a season like that. And what he's, what he's saying is, that doesn't mean you're outside the shepherding care of God. God is still shepherding you in that place. Because he shepherds us with his scriptures, but he also shepherds us with his sovereignty. God's sovereignty, which just means that he has power and authority over all things. He shepherds us with his providence, which is simply a, a word which means that God is ordering He's determining my path even when I don't see it. As it says in Proverbs 19.6, a man devises his way, but the Lord directs his step. A man devises his way, but the Lord directs his step. Do you remember that poem, Footprints in the Sand? I used to see it all the time on bookmarks and in people's homes, and maybe that's like an, kind of an older generation thing now. But, but it's a great little poem written by this woman back in the 1930s. She said, One night I dreamed a dream, and as I was walking along the beach with my Lord, across the dark sky flashed scenes from my life. From each scene, I noticed two sets of footprints in the sand, one belonging to me and one to my Lord. After the last scene of my life flashed before me, I looked back at the footprints in the sand. I noticed that at many times along the path of my life, especially at the very lowest and saddest times, there was only one set of footprints This really troubled me, so I asked the Lord about it. Lord, you said once I decided to follow you, you'd walk with me all the way, but I noticed that during the saddest and most troublesome times of my life, there was only one set of footprints. I don't understand why, when I needed you the most, you would leave me. God whispered to her, my precious child, I love you and will never leave you, never, ever, during your trials and testings, when you saw only one set of footprints, it was then that I carried you. Probably heard that before. David says, you are, even in the darkest valleys when I can't see you, you are with me and you go before me to direct my steps. And so again, maybe, maybe you find yourself in a dark valley and I look around the room because I know some of you and, and, I, and I know some of the valleys that you're in and there's many that I don't. And I just want you to know that God shepherds you even, even in those places. He, he, is, he is directing your steps. And some of us, we have the privilege of being able to look back at a season of life where we went through something and, and to be able to see how God was at work even in the dark valley. And I, I, may have, I think I've shared this story before, but I remember back living in Niverville when, when Eric and I had been married like a month. I lost my job kind of unexpectedly. I was a young married guy, 22. The only thing that her dad said is, you better provide for her. Okay. And he owns like 40 guns. It's like one of those American farmer types. One month into marriage and I lose my job in the dead of winter in Iverville. And this is back before every company's hiring. Where do I find a job? I looked in the newspaper every day. I, I applied for everything. She's in school. She's a student. She can't make money. And I'm just this useless bump on a log sitting at home feeling terrible, wondering what God are you doing? And I don't know how many weeks or months went by. And I remember going to Blumenort to an egg sorting factory because they were looking for someone to just to stare at eggs as they went by on a conveyor belt. And I said, Lord, please No. I know you're calling someone to do that. Someone needs to do that, but not me. And everyone in there was from Paraguay, and they spoke low German. And I I would have understood it. (laughs) Anyway, by his mercy, I didn't get the job. But I'm not even good enough to pick eggs. I was feeling so bad about myself. And I remember this, this sweet job opportunity. All right, Internet Pharmaceutical sets up in Neverville Perfect. You don't get your hands dirty? No manual labor? Do you know the people? That's me. Perfect. Interview. Nailed it. This is awesome. God, you're great. Sat by the phone. Waited for the call. 
Day one, day two, day three, call never came. Then I realized, yeah, we, we went in a different direction. I just remember how low I felt at that point, how many months of my wife going to school and me not being able to, feeling like a loser I couldn't provide. Eventually, I got connected with an insurance company in Winnipeg, and I took some training and got a good job, and, and I remember it was the first week or two of having that job. I, I drove back home to Nevervale past that internet pharmaceutical, which was all boarded up. Yeah, I guess that morning they decided to close without giving any notice and leave town. And that's what I looked at God and I think, God, you are my shepherd. I'm just a sheep. What do I know about what I need? You direct my steps. Even when I don't see, even in the dark valley, there you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So we've already talked about the staff, right? With the crook that kind of guides the sheep. But he says, your rod and your staff. The rod was just you know, a shepherd had two things, the staff and the rod. What was the rod? The rod was the, was the weapon, right? It was the club that they carried, what, to beat off the predators, to beat any robbers that would come to steal their sheep, to beat the wolves, to beat the lions, right? The shepherd got in between the enemy and the sheep and risked their own lives. It was bloody business to be a shepherd, and they protected the sheep with the rod, and there are all sorts of threats and dangers in life, but what David is saying is, God, you are my shepherd. You use your rod, even when I'm in the dark valleys and I don't know what's happening around me, you are using your rod to protect me, to keep me from being overcome, to keep me from being destroyed. And I find comfort in you. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. It's one thing to survive a threat and another thing to turn that threat into a triumph. Because in the very next words, he says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And that's just a way of saying all those things that could have destroyed me, all of that evil that could come against me to undo me, they're all around the table. They've all been subjugated. They're captives. They've been humiliated. They have to watch me eat the celebratory meal that you've made for me, God. And that's not a meal that happens after the valley. That's a meal that happens in the valley too. I think that's what he's saying here. This is not something he eats after he's gone through the valley and goes, whoo, glad that's behind me. It's like in the valley, the Lord prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. He anoints my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and your love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Oh, he, had, he had some confidence. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever, surely. Where did that comf- confidence come from? And, and I think like all the Scriptures, all the Old Testament, right? We, we, the, the Scriptures is, is, is the story of God's redemptive plan which leads to Jesus, right? All the Bible is about Jesus. All the Bible leads us to Jesus. Psalm 23 is about Jesus. Psalm 23 points us to the one who fulfills that role as shepherd, It points us to Jesus who is its fulfillment. And so listen to this. John chapter 10, verses 9. These are the words of Jesus. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. Jesus says, I have come that you may have life through me. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he's just a hired hand and he cares nothing for the sheep. But I am the good shepherd. I care for my sheep, they are mine. I know my sheep and my sheep know me just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of the sheep pen. I must bring them also. Do you know what he's talking about? You. That's what he's talking about. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice 
and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me. I lay it down on my own accord and I have authority to take it up. Lay it down and to take it up again. No one can take my life from me, right? I lay down my life for the sheep. I came to seek and to save sinners. Those sheep who had gone astray to lead them back into the flock, into security, into safety, into right relationship with God. Jesus came and He died on the cross to lead us into abundant life that we might be sheep of God's flock through faith in what He has done in us, right? Because that's the good news of the gospel. We We don't earn God's favor We don't come under his protection. We don't receive him as a shepherd, but just by being a really good sheep. We're sheep. We're stupid. But the good shepherd lays down his life, and in his death on the cross, he's done everything that is necessary for us to be forgiven, to be reconciled to God, to have the gift of eternal life, to live, to know we have the favor of God, to be given his Holy Spirit, which works in our life, to bring about newness of life, in us, all because Jesus laid down his life for us because he is the good shepherd. So when we think, when we picture a shepherd, we, we often think of this picture. I think I might even seen that in the church somewhere. That's a famous picture. You know, we, we think of like the, the, the gentleness and the tenderness of Jesus, of God, and he is tender and he is gentle. But, but maybe we should really be thinking of this picture when we think of Jesus as shepherd. Because to be a shepherd is bloody business. It means to get in the way. It means to take the blow for the sheep. It means to lay down your life for the good of the sheep. Jesus is our good shepherd who laid down his life for us that we might live. And we get to celebrate that today by taking maybe for what, a, what, what for us is like, like a celebration meal. And so we're going to take the Lord's Supper together as one flock. If you don't have a little cup, if you just want to raise your hand, the ushers will make sure you get one. You can take that little that peel off there and take that uh, wafer. And as you do that, why don't you just look at his face? We know that's, there's some over here. We know that's not, you know. This is Jim Caviezel from The Passion of the Christ portraying Jesus. Stripped of his robe, beaten, mocked, spat on, whipped, crown of thorns laid on his head, carried the cross to Calvary, nailed to that cross, and hung there to die for us. To pay for our sin. To make a way for us to be forgiven and to have God's favor. And as David said, to dwell with God forever. So as you take that that bread maybe you just want to look into that face and I want to invite you just into a moment of reflection and and maybe you want to talk with God what is it you want to thank God for today Take a moment and just express your gratitude to God for all that He has done and does for you through Jesus Christ, who the Bible says even right now is interceding for us. I love that. Right now, Jesus intercedes for you. Just take a moment to thank God for being your shepherd if you put your faith in Jesus.
On the night he was betrayed, Jesus took bread and he broke it and he said, this bread is my body which is broken for you because I love you. Remember me every time you eat of it together. Flock, let's eat. As you take your cup, I just invite you into another moment of reflection, speaking with God. Just ask Him to come and to guide you in the right path. Maybe there's some dark valley you're in. Maybe you just want to say, God, I believe, just kind of affirm, affirm your, your, your faith that He is with you. Just ask God for Him to come into your life and give you the guidance that you need for whatever it is you're going through. Jesus took the cup. And he said, this cup is my blood, shed for the forgiveness of your sins. Remember me every time you drink of it together. Let's remember our shepherd's love. Would you stand with me as I pray? Lord, we, we confess you today as our shepherd. We thank you for this great reality that though we are sheep, though our wisdom is imperfect, though we don't know that which is best for us, though we, have, we do not have control over the circumstances, we do not have control over our future, Lord, in you we have one who is perfectly wise in, in you, we have one who cares for us completely and knows us and our needs completely, each and every one of us. In you, we have one who is sovereign over all the, all the things that we face, all the things that might threaten us, all the evil that might come against us. You have already won the victory for us through your son, Jesus you are for us and you are not against us. And we know that because you gave us your son. You did not spare him. And if you did not spare your son, you will not withhold from us, from us anything that we need. Romans 8, you gave us that promise. And so, God, we just thank you for your shepherding care for us. And, Lord, I just pray that we would walk in step with your guidance, that we would seek it in your word, that we would seek it in spiritual community with one another, Lord, and that we would walk in the path that you lay for us, the path that leads to life. We are yours. Shepherd us by your love, Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen.